Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. If you would like It's Not About Food podcast a week earlier and ad-free, please support me on patreon.com forward slash It's Not About Food. For more information about my books, my work, and my body love cards, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Everyone, this is Lurley Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And I have a great guest here today. I've known her for a very long time and it's a very interesting life that she has gotten into as long as I've known her. And just a champion of women and a champion of all things wonderful and good and woke, <laughs> if I can say that. Very conscious and very much into trying to always fight the good fight and do the right thing. So I'm really pleased that she's here with us today. And we're just going to have a little talk about what can you do after any kind of recovery, whether it's somebody dies or your own recovery from alcohol or drugs or an eating disorder or just a dark nights of the soul of anything, like, you know, a breakup or your kid gets sick or you have a kid or whatever it is that you're going through, how can we rise above and do something that makes a big difference in the world? How can we follow that path, follow that dream and do that? So I wanted her to talk about how she has had the, the wherewithal to sort of do these really great things that I see that she does on Facebook. For the last many years. So I'm going to introduce Margot and just tell us a little bit about yourself and what's up. <laughs> it's so great to be here. Thank you, Laura Lee. I love how you said you're interested in what people do after recovery. And that's really so fascinating to me. And so much I feel like of our attention as a culture and a society gets focused on the sickness. Yes. And even though the recovery memoirs and stuff, it's like you're sick and then you get better and your life is boring. And (laughs) that's so not the case. I feel like my life before was good because everything I ever did brought me to the person that I am right this second. However, it was really hard. And my life has not been that hard since then. It has happened, of course, but... I've been able to move through it a lot easier than before. Absolutely. And I try to explain that to my 19-year-old daughter that like, I didn't quit. I also quit doing drugs and alcohol besides the bulimia. And that your life when you're doing drugs and alcohol is so boring. It's just the same thing over and over again. And when you quit, your life becomes so exciting and interesting. There's so much more time. 
I had to really shuffle and jive myself a lot to keep the addictions, whatever they were, going. Whether that was a relationship addiction or alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or spending or working, whatever it was, took a lot of energy. So much energy. And now I feel like I have so much vitality and I didn't used to have that. It's so important to have that. Otherwise you can't do anything or I can't do anything without it. So what did I do? So I think I got better from the bulimia when I was 28, when I did Beyond Hunger with you guys. Before that, I had tried a bunch of other stuff like Overeaters Anonymous and Nutritionist and all those things. And none of that got me better. Not only did that not get me better, but I was told I would be sick for life. Yes. This is not the case. It's so depressing when we tell people that. Yes. And what you guys taught us, I think, would now be referred to as intuitive eating. Is that right? I can't remember what you call yeah. it that. But like listening to your body. I think the main thing I've sort of learned since then. So I stopped when I was 28. When I got better with you guys, I think I thought the listening to my body, the listening to myself was only about food. And it's interesting because your whole thing is called It's Not About Food. And what I realized the older I got, now I'm 54. I got better when I was 28. Is it's the case with everything. It's not just with food that you listen to your body. It's everything. That's the source and the compass I use now to do the things I do in the world and be brave enough to do them, even when everyone is telling me it's stupid or pointless or whatever. It's so true. And I love what you just said. It was like when I got better about one thing, it just bled over to another thing and then it squished over to another thing. And another. I had no idea I was going to have to recover on so many things. I thought I'll get this alcohol thing handled and then I'll be happy and I'll be okay and I'll never have to do anything again, which was so ridiculous when you think about it. Totally. <laughs> and I, I think the big thing I learned when I got better from the bulimia was about the recovery is that it's not like a head thing. Like it's all about your body and it's all about listening to your body. And before getting better from that, I really thought like even like feminism, like I thought if I just read enough feminism and understood enough about feminism, then I could argue myself out of the bulimia. Yes. <laughs> right? No. It's not, that didn't work at all because it's not an intellectual thing. It's a physical body, spiritual thing. And that's how, again, how I live my life. Like it's not, I was a philosophy major in school and college, and I really believed everything was intellectual, and it's not the case. It's so funny that you said that, because many years ago, when we first went into the Iraqi war, I joined Code Pink, and a bunch of loudmouth feminism women against the war, just all about women power and stuff. And so at one point we had like a conference and I said, I can give a lecture on how to love the body that you have, no matter what, even as you're fighting this good fight. And the person looked at me and said, none of us have a problem with that. I went, aren't you all women? (laughs) What? And they were like, you can give a lecture about that as long as you put it together with no war. And I went, Never mind. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm talking about something different. I still march with them when they go across the Golden Gate Bridge one Sunday a month. Yeah, it's interesting how people can just not get. And I didn't get it myself until I did it. And I keep learning it again, even though I think I know it. I was like, I'm not going to have any kids until I get better from this. 
And I thought I was better. I am better from the bleeding. I had three kids. And I'm actually really proud to have brought up three daughters with no eating. If they've got oh nothing. Oh, my God. Amazing. You know, the cycle of abuse can stop. That's what I'm always reminded of. We can do this. It doesn't have to be like this. And from the time they've always been able to feed themselves, they've always been able to open the cupboard, get, eat ice cream for breakfast if they want, whatever they want, whenever they want. And they eat what you would call healthy now, just by choice. And they're all great about food, like no issues. Yeah. I mean, our bodies know what they want to eat. And So whatever that is, it sounds healthy because they're good. And I do want you to, I know that you were working on a radio show for a while. And how was that listening to all kinds of different opinions about stuff as you were going through this or as you were continuing your recovery? So I worked in talk radio and I think of talk radio now as a harbinger for the internet. Like it was sort of the way everyone got to talk. You could be anonymous. It was very opinionated, very siloed in some ways. So I was working for a liberal talk show host and that show came at the perfect time in life because I totally believed in him, supported him, what he was doing, what he talked about. He was against the Iraq war, for example, which nobody was at that time. Like he was right there. Like Saddam Hussein does not have weapons of mass destruction. And he got so much crap for that. But anyway, so what I realized about getting better for me, and this is what I was going to say with my daughters, I've tried to teach them, is you just want someone to listen. Just listen to me. And this talk show host, he listened to me in a way that I had not been listened to in my life. And when I started working there, the Monica Lewinsky thing was still happening. It had already happened, but like he talked about every angle that he could on this issue. And I said that for me... I didn't take the typical like liberal democratic thing. I was like, I'm really upset about Monica Lewinsky. I voted for Bill Clinton as a young woman because I thought he would do great things for young women. And now instead, there's this image all over the world where this young woman is sexualized. I don't like that. And I resent that. I'm pissed off. And all my friends were saying Monica Lewinsky's in control of her sexuality. And that's great. And I was like, I just don't feel that way. And now... 25 years later, Monica Lewinsky is saying it does have that interpretation. At the time, as far as we know, she didn't. But anyway, the talk show host put me on the radio and he's like, oh my God, nobody said that. Oh, oh yeah. And I said one other thing I said. <laughs> so once again, the sexism, and I said, what if Madeline Albright had an affair? She was the secretary of state at the time. What if she had an affair with an intern? That's right. Would she, right? I mean, can you even imagine that? And he's like, no. So he put me on the air, he gave me the microphone, and I think that, just being on the air, having the microphone, and then he encouraged me to write, and then I went on, started going on television and saying my point of view, and it just felt amazing. It felt amazing to go out in the world and speak. Yeah, it does, and especially when you have a good way of getting out there and taking the spotlight yourself anyway, you know, again, being a loudmouth person that has something really important to say. I'm looking at these two young men in Tennessee who they threw them out of the state house and they made a big ruckus in their back end because they are on the side of the righteous. Yeah. And it's scary to speak up because you, I mean, at least happened to me my whole life. I think part of the reason I was able to speak up is because I came from a very wealthy family. And I think that's part of the reason I became a feminist so early as well is because in the family I grew up in, it was in the 80s, right? So in the 80s, everyone talked about post-feminism, like feminism was over. 
Whereas in my family and the world I was in, which was extremely wealthy, the men and the women were like, we're like different species. All the Mm -hmm. men were running the world and all the women were dieting. Mm -hmm. And that, that wasn't right. And that women this close to power were so disempowered. It didn't make any sense to me. And that's when I started questioning things, trying to figure stuff out. But again, the wrong road I took, or maybe it wasn't a wrong road because they all used here, but very intellectual sort of philosophy as opposed to my heart. I think it took me a long time to value my heart and my emotions. I think I really tried to fit into that masculine idea of intellect and debate. And that's part of what I didn't talk radio. I, I thought debating was the way to... like made the best idea win. And I still see that as a certain value. But now I try more to believe that everyone's opinion is worthy, but worthy of being listened to. Like I try to listen to people more. I my listen. Well, you are so much a better woman than I am because I, <laughs> I, I, my tolerance has gotten very, very low in the last few years. But I also have family who have a completely different idea than I do and about something huge. And I think a lot of the time I just have to go to love with these people and I love him. I love her anyway. And we're just not going to talk about what I know will upset me. (laughs) It's hard. I'm really careful about who I spend my time with because that's another thing with debate. Am I going to waste my time debating someone who's never going to change their mind? I don't think I'm going to do that. It's interesting because I also had a blog that I started when I had the three kids about gender in the media. And I got so much hate on that blog. Because <laughs> I, I blogged about like Disney. Well, this is before me too. So I think it was actually like now I think a lot more people would get it. But this is before all that was happening. And people are just like, why are you talking about Disney movies? And the sexism is all made up. And of course, I was talking about it because it influences little kids, these stories. But I stopped blogging eventually. And now, just because of my time, right? I just have to be really careful about what I spend my time on. Like, am I going to waste my time debating these people or not? So it's not just like I'm this angel. I'm just careful about what I want to do. If you would like to have a weekly newsletter that has some information about recovery, or what people are doing in the world, or what I'm doing in the world, and just information about how to recover and what to do, and how do we have faith and trust and love and openness to our own selves. You can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Storygram Network. I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I've been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. 
it has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, and I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned. Appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating di diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously. Thank you. Yeah, where are you going to put your energy? I know that my son has grown and I just love that he and my daughter-in-law had a little girl and I just adored, I still do, everything about her, even though she's in college now. But when she was little, she would like climb up on my lap and bring a book and say, will you read me this book? And it was like Cinderella or Snow White. And I'd be, no, I'm not reading this book to you. Or I would read it, but I would change the story. And she got very adept at, Grandma, that's not true, what you're saying. That's not what the book says. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. I mean, what I'd say, glass slipper, that's so stupid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Waiting for the man to come to the ball, so stupid. Anyway, and I can't remember who the author is, but somebody wrote the book, Cinderella Ate My Daughter. Or was it? Oh, Peggy Ornstein. Yes. And it was so good. It was so true. I just felt I could see this strong little girl who was so fierce and not afraid of anything, would eat anything, touch anything, go anywhere. And then at, I don't know, at three and four and five, she became like, oh, I'm going to be a mommy and a princess. And I'd be like, ah. <laughs> but she did work herself out of that. So <laughs> that's good. How old is she now? 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. For a while, she wanted these monster dolls. And I would be like, these dolls are dead. <laughs> and they're really <laughs> thin. I can't stand it. I'm not buying them for you. I was like the opposite as far as like I was, because I was a black my thinker. Like I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have kids. Like I was really adamant about that. But when I was 32, I met my husband and I just totally fell in love with him. And I wanted to have babies with him. That's you know? so sweet. I think something that helped me was the whole gay marriage movement. Because when I saw, like, it had always been for me taken for granted. Like, oh, you're going to get married. You're going to have kids. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But then when I saw gay people fight for the right to get married. And this was the same time that shows on. Oh, remember who wants to marry a millionaire? Do you remember that? Yes. I was so disgusted by that. And then I remember I wrote an op-ed, like, how is this legal, but gay marriage is not legal? It really made me think, okay, they're fighting for this. What are they fighting for? And maybe I need to rethink marriage. And maybe I can make marriage into something that I want. And I have done that. Today's my 20-year anniversary, and I've done it. And I'm proud of myself. So I don't believe in this black and white thinking that they make these women live with. Yeah. And it seems like that black and white thinking is whether it's getting a lot more press or it really is rising like yeast, you know, I don't know, but it just seems like there's a lot going on. And I can remember when Gavin Newsom 
made all marriages legal, all gay marriage. Anybody could get married, didn't matter. And I told my brother who's gay, I called him up. I said, do you have a boyfriend right now? And he goes, no, I just broke up with this guy. And I go, get him back and marry him today. (laughs) You've got to get married. He said, well, I don't have anyone to marry. I don't want to get married just to get married. I said, well, I'm going to marry somebody. (laughs) I don't care. I wasn't married at that time. I was like, I'm going to call all my girlfriends, see if they'll marry me, even if we get a divorce. But it was good that I didn't do that because you couldn't get a divorce because it wasn't legal anywhere, really, after they shut it down. So that would have been weird. But I felt like everybody should. There was a line out the door all the way around the whole downtown, all around the the opera house and the symphony. I mean, it was just amazing how many people showed up to get married. It was beautiful. Yeah, it really was. And it still is. It's still transforming everything. So I try to be really open to like new ways of thought because I was so sure that I was right about not getting married. Like it was so clear on that. And my life ended up taking such a different path. So who knows what might go next. You hadn't met him yet. You yeah, know? that's true. That was all the difference <laughs> in the world. And then once you meet him and you guys are building a life together and we need to have a family too. It's just, of course. I think it was him, but I think I was also ready to meet him. So I met him when I was 32. I'd gotten better from the bulimia. I quit drinking. I had this great job at the talk radio station. I was going on TV. Right. So I think I felt really strong in myself and strong enough to try something new. I know when I was struggling with drinking and drugging and eating disorder and all the stuff I struggled from, I just morphed into somebody else. I just mashed myself into somebody else instead of standing strong on my own. They got to stand strong on their own, and then we came together as partners. That's what I have right now. That took a long time for me to get there. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm still working on it with my partner and with my kids. And this goes back to what we were talking about, about listening to yourself. Like, But they can have their opinion, and I can have my opinion. So this is with people I love, okay? I'm not talking about Trump. I'm not talking about, like, Hitler. Yeah, people <laughs> yeah. I love, right? right. Like right. you just want to walk in a different direction or something that pisses me off. I'm just trying to not debate them and just be like, okay, it's totally okay. This is what they want to do, and I want to do something different, and we can still love each other. Like for some reason, that's so hard for me to get. It is hard, especially because I know I'm right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and they know they're right. So yeah. I can't see their point of view because that to me is so crazy. But they think the same thing about me. They're like, how can you think that? That's so insane that you think that. And I'm like, no, it's not insane. But anyway, but we have a lot more stuff that we can talk about and be with and hang out in. And I have one family member. We can always go eat tacos. I don't care what. We can be like at each other's throats. And one of us says, Let's go get some tacos. And it's like, changes everything. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. My husband is funny. He's very funny. So that helps a lot. Like he'll make a joke and make me laugh. And I'll be like, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. So right now you're working on getting these three kids grown and yeah. healthy and happy and on with their life. Yeah. So when I was doing a blog, which was all about like gender in the media, my husband was like, instead of criticizing all the sexism in all these books, why don't you write your own book? 
And I was like, oh, well, I don't have any ideas. And he's like, oh, I have an idea. (laughs) So, yeah. And he had a really good idea. He's really creative. So we did start writing a book together. And I had an agent who's really great. So what I plan to do, I think, is go back to that eventually. I think it's really marketable. And I think little kids are still like reading middle grade books and stuff. And it's something I wanted. But yeah, right now I'm just focusing on trying to like, I think, put all the skills I learned back with you in action with my kids, like just really being there for them when they're having a hard time. Yeah. That is so good. And what is the book about? Do you mind saying or do you want to not? No, I can say it's about the fairy world. So it's like a Romeo and Juliet story, but about two friends who come from these different tribes that hate each other. And they're a bunch of girls, basically, a bunch of girl female characters who work to save the world together when it's in an apocalypse. So I just don't want like one <gasps> so good. character. I wanted lots of female characters. So the bad people are female. The good people are female. There's tons of like powerful girl characters, which I think is really exciting. I think so too. And you have three daughters and I had one granddaughter and I could tell you that I would get that book for her in a minute. And at some age, she would totally be into it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's really needed. Yeah, I gave her the, what is it called? It was a movie written by Margaret Atwood. Oh, Handmaid's. Um, yes, I gave that to my granddaughter when she was about 14. I had to check it out with her mom, obviously. But she was like, yeah, if she wants to read it, she can read it. It was like, blew her mind, you know. That's a very intense book. Yeah, Yeah, it is. But she was already thinking about stuff like that. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good show on TV as well. There's so many more shows to watch now than were like even 10 years ago and books and stuff. Yeah. We have a little bit of a platform here. And I wonder if you would like to leave with some kind of helpful hint for mothers of girls or for mothers that are raising these girls in the world that we have right now and give them, I don't know, support. I think we all need support by trying to raise these generation up so that they're not crazy. Like we were, like I was. (laughs) I would have done it totally differently than I did it. And I, I really tried hard, but I really tried to like, with my daughters, hand down the wisdom. Like because of everything I'd been through with feminism and stuff, I thought I knew it all. It's a cliche, but they have to learn it on their own. Best way to help these kids learn on their own is to listen to them. And if I had to do it again, I'm certainly doing it now. My kids are still sore. I have 14-year-old, whatever, but just listen to them. Like they will come home and they will say the crazy or stuff, kind of like we were talking about. I think it's insane. I'm like, what do you, like this teacher did this and she hates me and her, or even if they say like, I'm ugly or whatever, like I don't argue with that. I just listen. Oh, you're feeling ugly right now. Tell me more. And I sit and I listen and I don't try to fix and correct. And it just makes a huge difference in their well-being. I can see it. It's so true. And I know when I want to get a lot of that stuff out myself, I don't want anyone to fix it. I'm not telling you this to get helpful hints. I'm telling you this just to let it out. That's so true. And it feels really invalidating to have someone come in and say, it's not that bad. Or why don't you try this? If you're ready, but I think they've got to ask, or this is what I want to leave you with. Like, listen, but listen in a humble way. Hey, is this what you're trying to say? Hey, is it okay if we talk about this? Like really humble. Don't listen like you're some expert who knows everything, even though party thinks that you are, especially if you're a mom. Especially. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And given to her own devices, her father is fabulous, my son. 
My daughter-in-law is fabulous. They are raising fabulous children. And I broke the mold of my childhood that was very abusive by not abusing my own son as much as I was abused. And he doesn't abuse at all. It got broken. That chain got broken. For you, Mm -hmm. cycle breaker. Yay. That's about the best we can do is try to not put our stuff all over. Yeah, definitely. And also, you mentioned Peggy Ornstein. She'd be great for your podcast. She lives in the Bay Area. If you want, I can. Yes. Anyway, thank you so much for being on. And I really loved connecting with you. I haven't seen you in years and you look great and you are great and just love to see your smile. Oh, thank you, Laura Lee. Thank you for all the work you do in the world. You're amazing. And I'm oh, really grateful. Thank you. You as well. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.